Welcome to episode 42 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, I talk to Scott Agenbaum and we introduce the Cyber Secure Mindset. But before I get to Scott, a couple of news articles from the week that was in cybersecurity. And if you listen to the cybersecurity podcast, chances are you hear a lot of the same news articles on a lot of different podcasts. I know I listen to uh, Chase Cunningham's Dr. Zero Trust podcast, and I, I greatly encourage you to listen to that one if uh, you, you like this topic. He talks about news articles in a much uh, very well-informed way uh, based on his experience, and it's very quick. It's a nice uh, easy podcast to listen to, and I highly recommend that. I know I've I've taken a couple articles he mentioned and mentioned them on mine, um, but it was interesting because I mentioned one last week and he mentioned the same one on his. So it's 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 good, and I did, that's kind of why I bring that up because of the, the kind of the repetition. But it goes to goes to the point that a lot of people are following these things, and you you can't have too many news sources to kind of you know discuss the relative topics and get different perspectives on what those topics mean. So. The first article I want to talk about this week is from TechRadar. It uh, was released uh, three days ago by a Joel Khalili. If I mispronounced his name, I apologize for that. But basically, the article uh, headline is, An unbelievable number of people can still break into old work accounts. Poor password practices are putting businesses at risk. So just a quick thing from this particular uh, article. Based on a poll of 1,000 workers, this report highlights dangers associated with password sharing, which is commonplace across many businesses. Of those surveyed, just under half, 41.7%, admitted to sharing workplace passwords with either coworkers, contractors, families, or friends. And so with that, I posted something on LinkedIn, and this is kind of why I'm mentioning this article, because it was interesting to see the response on LinkedIn. When I post stuff on LinkedIn, if I'm lucky, I might get a thousand views. And I don't honestly to be, I don't really understand how LinkedIn's algorithms work or how people see what they see or how, how people are directed to, to certain articles. And I've had a couple um, articles I posted or, or comments I posted that have to deal with China and things like that. And those have gotten a couple thousand posts. But this one was interesting because the post I listed, well, I'll talk about how many how many views I got. And I don't, maybe a view is just it passes by someone scrolling, they don't really read it. But here's what I wrote in this particular LinkedIn post. So my head, I said, headline, an unbelievable number of people can still break into old work accounts. Uh, and this is the, that's the headline from Tech Radar. So this is kind of my thoughts after this. An interesting, albeit unsurprising, article published this morning highlights what I think is a large reason why the bad cyber actors are still winning. And I have in parentheses, and by a Harlem Globetrotters over the Washington Generals type margin from the article. Uh, and this is the same paragraph I just read about the, they share their passwords. So I'm not going to repeat that. But simply put, if companies, this is me now, if companies... Simply put, again, this is me, sorry, my bad. If companies and their employees, for that matter, can't, aren't, or won't do the simple things, they are inviting bad actors in. This drives my current push regarding cybersecurity awareness training and how it needs to be retooled or rethought. It doesn't need to be difficult or expensive. And then I say yes, no, or maybe. So because of the character restrictions on LinkedIn, I'm not one of the people that was given the 3,000 character limit yet. Maybe I will at some point. But I very quickly posted... After I was done writing this, I said, well, let me do a quick poll. I don't use polls a lot on LinkedIn, but I'm curious to see what people think. And my poll question was, is cybersecurity awareness training working? Yes, no. 
and then what training. So the results were, I'll be honest with you, somewhat surprising to me. 429 people voted, so thumbs up on that. And this is not scientific, so take it for what it's worth. But 51% said yes, 36% said no, and 14% said what training. So basically, I, I take that as being basically right down the middle, 50-50, more than anything else. And actually, somehow that adds up to 101%, but whatever. So the, 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 I, the odd thing with this for me is I had 25 interactions where people liked it or were curious about it or whatever. Uh, 23 likes and two curious or it made some question. And then 33 comments. But the interesting thing is it shows that I had 21,000 views of my post, which, again, that may not mean anybody actually read it, but I thought that was this is the most, incre- this is the most viewed post I've ever had. But I just want to read some of the, some of the, the comments on this because I think they were interesting. So one person, the first person that noted this, and, and he, makes, he makes a good point. I'm not, I'm not downplaying his point, but keep in mind that this particular poll was put up at the end without a whole lot of thought on my part. So granted, take that for what it's worth. But he said, what is missing from questions like this is reality. It's not a yes or no answer. I agree. That is correct. I wasn't really trying to get into any great detail, but he said, awareness training works for many people. And while it's difficult to prove a negative, I think it's safe to say that some threats have been mitigated by it. Now, I'd be curious to know what threats those are, but that's neither here nor there. He continues, the cybersecurity solution is a master puzzle that includes hundreds or thousands of individual tech, people, and process solutions to make the whole. Premises like the above are dangerous because it makes people think that a one puzzle piece is not valid to solve the whole problem and then may decide not to employ it, which only increases the risk. Acknowledge that individual capabilities and limitations for a given solution as it pertains to a portion of the problem and surrounds other solutions for capital, blah, blah, blah. Cyber threats aren't wearables and they're owners of it. Now, first off, let me just say this. Um, <laughs> to say my, my poll question was dangerous is kind of comical because I'm just trying to find out if people think their training works. Because I really argue, and I've argued many times, that I think we're doing it wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't do cybersecurity awareness training. I just think it has limited effectiveness to a point. Sure, you're going to have people that don't, you know, ironically don't clip on, aren't supposed to click on links. They won't click on links. But again, 41.7% of people in the poll listed of a thousand people said they share passwords. I got to think that password reuse and how to use passwords is one of the first things given in cybersecurity training. So again, my argument is people may be listening to it, but they're not following what they learn, which is why I think personally, and I've said this many times, Scott and I will talk about it a little bit later, that we need to rethink how we do training, and people need to take charge of their own training, get information from a variety of sources that goes into a great detail on things that you need to protect yourself, your family, your older relatives, and things like that. And that brings me to my second article, which kind of goes along with this, and it's from the Metro co.uk newspaper. So it's a website. I think it's a website, not a newspaper per se, out of the UK, but the article is meaningful here too. It's by Samantha Hukui Wo. And it says, Breaking the Heart and Bank, How Romance Scammers Are Thriving During the Pandemic. And this goes this does go back to my whole thing on education. We're not educating people on what the threats are out there. So from this article, I'm going to read this a little bit. This is posted yesterday, January, uh, July 10th, I'm sorry. So from the article, after splitting from her husband of nearly three decades and spending the past six years on and off dating apps, Claire Spencer thought she had finally found love again. She had yet to meet him in person, but Jack, who described himself as a simple, fun-loving bloke in his Plenty of Fish bio, seemed to share so much in common with her. 
They were both 49 and from Winsford, although Jack claimed he was based in Cambodia, working on a resort contract he had recently been awarded as a builder designer, building designer. So that should be first first point there. When Claire told him she was looking for someone who likes going to the beach and on dog walks, he assured her that they were on the same page. However, after two months of intense messaging, Earlier this year, and one cutoff phone call later, Claire, 50, found herself not only nursing a heartbreak, but left hundreds of pounds down. There was no jack. She had been scammed. So let's, be, let's start first there. Hundreds of pounds. She's lucky. That's all she, got, all she lost, hundreds of pounds, which I'm, you know, a couple hundred dollars. So it's an expensive lesson, needless to say, but she got away cheap, quite honestly. Uh, so she says, quote, I can't even begin to describe how disappointing I am in myself, she says. I suffered endless nightmares about being taken advantage of, felt so upset and humiliated. I've been through so much in the past few years, but this one completely coughed me off guard. Well, and while romance scams, which involve feigning interest towards an interesting victim before attempting to extort money of them, are not a new phenomenon, no kidding, last year saw a 30% increase in bank transfer romance fraud compared to 2019. This goes back to something I've mentioned in the past, that romance scams, especially against the elderly, are the number two cybercrime problem, according to FBI statistics from IC3.gov, the Internet Crime Complaint Center. Uh, the only thing that beats it is, is business email compromise. So even this is a much bigger um, financial area for scammers than even ransomware. Now, again, we can go back and talk about, well, a lot of ransomware companies don't report that they're victims. Certainly, I, I take that for what it's worth. But this goes back to education. Are we... Sure. So you have you have education at the workplace, and it tells you how to protect yourself, how to do, look for insider threats, things like that. But are we expanding it beyond the workplace to protect our family members, our kids, our elderly parents who don't really understand the, the Internet per se or the particular threats there? I mean, they understand the Internet, but they don't understand the threats that are there. Um, you know, my mother has seven Facebook accounts. She doesn't use Facebook anymore, but she has seven because she would forget her password and she would just create a new one because she just really didn't know how to reset her password, things like that. Um, so, you know, and though this is the, and, and these elder, these, these, these romance scams are huge, especially in the time of COVID because people aren't getting out as much. So they're relying on the internet to try to find love. People want to, you know, people we are a social organism, us homo sapiens, and so we're looking for, for people to engage in relationships with, and we find them online, and, and the online world makes it easy to do so, yet we, again, need to train people on what those threats are. Again, as I say, I say every time, understand the threats targeting you, assess your risk, proceed wisely. I don't think we're assessing risk appropriately, especially when it comes to seniors um, and people who just aren't as aware of what the threats are online. And my question to you would be for your work trainer, going, I should go back to my, my, my LinkedIn post to those people who, who thought cybersecurity awareness training is working. And again, I, it's worded, it's worded poorly. I admit it's worded poorly. Um, but you know, it's, it's working to what point we're still having business emails, business email compromise relies on password reuse and, and things like that. It still works. I argue password, cyber security awareness training is not working because of the amount of loss from all of these scams. So that's my two cents on that. It's a quick 10-minute rant on tying those two particular news articles together. But, you know, it's kind of kind of where we are. We'll have, I'm sure, more more and newer cyber crimes going this week. There's actually, uh, there was a new, I'm not going to really talk a whole lot about this one here, maybe as I read more about it this week, but there was a, a report that came out from Morgan Stanley, this is, uh, and I uh, give a hat tip to Scott Janazik, another retired FBI agent from Jacksonville. Uh, but basically, the uh, report is Morgan Stanley reports data breach after vendor Acelion hack. So 
this Acellian hack occurred a couple months ago. This is not a new a new data breach. Yet Morgan Stanley now just reporting that they had a data breach, which is interesting in the sense that they waited this long to, to say that they had the breach, but whatever. Anyway, so we'll see how that rolls rolls forward. Obviously, the Kaseya data breach is still going strong. I talked about that in the last podcast. I'm not going to revisit that here, but but um, you know, it's going to be an interesting week. So keep in mind as you as you head into your week at work, or you head into your week. Whatever your life is, just understand the threats targeting you, assess your risk, make sure you proceed wisely. All right, I'm welcoming back onto the podcast by popular demand, the author of the successful book, The Secret to Cybersecurity, retired FBI supervisory special agent Scott Ogenbaum, and we are going to talk about a need for a paradigm shift in how we all or how everyone thinks about cybersecurity. Scott, welcome back. Thanks for having me, uh, Darren. I, this seems to be a topic that has been going on for decades. Yep. So let's talk about first in your book, when you first wrote it at the time, what was the secret? What is, I mean, obviously you have many secrets revealed within that book, but just, you know, from a quick two to three minute standpoint, what is this, what was the secret to cybersecurity that you showed in your book? Well, the, here, here's the whole deal. And let the truth be told was I wrote a 70,000 word manuscript. We brought it down to 50,000 words. We wrote the book and then we picked a title. And in complete honesty, my publisher picked the title, The Secret to Cybersecurity. And I was like, what an unbelievable title. I wish I could have came up and thought about that myself. But I did. So when people would ask me all the time, hey, Scott, what is the secret to cybersecurity? You know, I, I really had to come up with something. But honestly, the secret to cybersecurity is that you, the individual, have the ability to reduce your chances quite dramatically of being the next cybercrime victim without spending money and without being technical. So that's the real truth. The truth is a little bit more um, about the empowerment of the individual more than anything else. I mean, it's just that simple, Darren. Right. And so since then, obviously, you and I have talked a lot about about all of these things and how many people need to change how they think about cybersecurity. And I've you know made a call that businesses, individuals look at cybersecurity different than you and I do. And I think we or you need to try to help people change that mindset. So what is that new mindset people need to have when it comes to dealing with cybersecurity and protecting themselves so they don't become the next cyber victim? Well, let's think about this in the most basic way. You want to lose weight. What do you do? You study nutrition, you study physical fitness, and then you take massive action and you can become healthy. You want to become wealthy. You read wealth books, personal finance, you follow people, you save money, you spend less, you become wealthy. You want to have personal development. What do you do? You study it and then you take massive amount of action. But let's think about society today, Darren. What do people do to reduce their chances of becoming a cybercrime victim? What do you do? I mean, and what do you do without, what's the typical answer? What do most people do? Buy antivirus, buy a firewall and, and pray. No, exactly. So that's one of the things that was really missing from what I saw was that if most of the cybercrime incidents easily could have been prevented, why is nobody focusing their efforts on these simple, easy things that people could do 
that would just really change things. And that's what and that's when you just you just kind of hit it on the head. And it's like, look, we need to have a new mindset because I'm going to ask you what we're doing. Is it working? What we're doing currently, as far as like technology, I, no, absolutely not. I, I think we we discussed earlier. I found an article from five years ago that said that a hundred percent of ransomware victims at the time, over the course of a year, had a hundred percent of them had antivirus, and the ransomware got right through. It also ninety five percent of them had firewall, and fifty three percent of them had email filtering. None of the technology worked. They still got hit with ransomware. If you look at it today, there was a report that came out within the last two weeks that 76% of antivirus will not stop the current threats that occurred in the last quarter, first quarter of 2021. So 76% of all cyber threats that were created and launched upon the world got through antivirus because the antivirus couldn't stop it. Technology's not working. Well, it's not a question that technologies don't work. Just think about it. In all the cases that we work together, and I use that number all the time, about 90% of them could have been prevented. People had antivirus products. People had firewalls. People had compliance frameworks in place, but they didn't have the right mindset. And this is something that since COVID came on, and I had a lot of time, this is something I don't want to say I've been thinking about, because, you know, this is something that I've been obsessing about for almost, besides my whole life, this is something that I've really been focusing a lot of time on. And I don't want to call it more of a victim mentality, because we have to change our mindset. But what was some of the uh, there were a lot of commonalities that my victims all had that if they just had some really key pieces of information, if they knew what to look for, they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't become victims. So, And I talked a lot about that in the book, but I really started diving in a little bit deeper since the beginning of the year to talk about what were some of the key points. What did they not understand? And that's what I think if we could focus on, we could really reduce people's chances of becoming the next victim. And let me step back a second and say, I'm not saying people are listening saying, oh, he says technology doesn't work. I'm not saying technology doesn't work by itself. Technology has a place. You have to have techn technical solutions in place. But that's the mindset that we're trying to change or you're trying to change. We're trying to change together is it's not just technology. It's not just the once a year cybersecurity awareness training. It's a more comprehensive paying attention to all the threats that are out there so you can reduce your risk. Because, you know, as you said many times, law enforcement is not going to save the day. Yeah, bingo. And, and it's not a question. I don't want to have people think that I am, under, you know, oversimplifying the problem. But because technology is so important, information security tools are critical to keeping ourselves safe. So what I've been trying to say is if we can have a dramatic mindset shift, uh, a change in mind shift, we can reduce a lot of the crime. Because let me tell you, the first thing that most people did not understand was here's the deal. The cybercrime problem is getting worse. And it has been getting worse since the day I started 
working nothing more than cybercrime, which was 1998. Now, when we talk about the global cost of cybercrime, there's so many different numbers and they're big numbers. It could be anywhere between a trillion and six trillion. That doesn't matter. But when we think about the cost of cybercrime, what are we talking about? We're not just talking about the monetary loss. We're talking about all the other costs that are involved. Because, you know, when you think colonial pipeline and you say that the bad guy, the colonial pipeline had to pay an $11 million ransom. Darren, what are some of the other costs that are associated in that without, you, you know, what are some of the other costs that people just don't even think about? Sure. Loss of brand identity. So people aren't going to trust the brand. I mean, it's oil, so you're going to kind of have to take it anyway, but you've got internal costs to fix the systems. You've got internal costs to change your change your educational format. There are probably people who lost jobs. There's hiring of new positions. Cybersecurity itself is a loss leader in a company because they don't make any money from it. So there's a whole host of different additional costs, hardware costs, software costs, you know, training costs. So yeah. And then the intrusion, the intrusion response, just think about how many other businesses suffered. So we have the global costs going up and they're going to continue to go up. And then we have the amount of money that we're spending on products and services are going up at almost the same pace. So what does it mean when we keep spending money and the problem gets worse? It means what we're doing is not effective. Mm -hmm. So people don't understand that. So when we were in law enforcement, what did we say? We're not going to arrest our way out of the problem. And you in the private sector are not going to outspend your way out of the problem. And then what's important to know that taking money and throwing bags of money at the problem does not work. And then law enforcement is not going to save the day because the chances of law enforcement coming in with a magic wand and fixing your problem and throwing the bad guys in jail is very, very challenging. But one of the things that people would come to me all the time and say, Scott, when you say that, it makes us feel hopeless that no matter what we do, the cyber criminals are going to win. But let me tell you, if 90 percent of what I dealt with could have been prevented, then we need to focus on these areas. So that's like the biggest mindset shift. We have to remember that a lot of cybercrime could be prevented. And at the same time, a lot the, the private sector, people don't realize that all it really takes is the theft of a username and password for the bad guys to destroy our lives. And Darren, what's the other thing? What did most people always say? What made them feel good that they didn't have a problem? What's the other element? I don't have anything anybody wants. Yeah. They don't have anything anybody wants. And they also they also thought that they had an antivirus problem. Uh, yeah, they, sure. they had antivirus and they had identity theft protection. And because of that, they felt that they that those were safe. So, Darren, out of those couple of things that what I just told you, because I have a couple of elements here, which ones of those really struck out with you and hit hit a nerve? What what do you think of those? What really resonated with you? When I was investigating myself, you mean? When I was yeah. So the biggest issue I always found was the the, the shock and the surprise of people who became victims. 
Uh, and then the the thought that, well, how are we going to win? Because the cyber guys, the, the cyber criminals are so much smarter than we are. They are using all these sophisticated attacks. And the media and Hollywood doesn't help because when you watch movies about cyber criminals, they're all sitting there and they're typing in code and they're getting into networks and they're compromising satellites. They're not that good. I mean, sure. Are there some that are? Sure. The nation state guys, maybe. But the general cyber criminal is doing the colonial pipeline and doing this new the new one that happened this weekend with a thousand companies, they're not that sophisticated. Well, because they're also banking on the fact that most of the population, 65% of the population is using the same password for multiple platforms. Mm -hmm. And when we just had that big uh, release, I think it was the Rockstar 2 data breach, or not even data breach, there were 88.7 billion username and password combinations that were exposed. Just think about how many of those belong to businesses. Now, that is a shift that we have to change. And the other one is that they don't realize that the main tool in the cyber criminals tool belt is a phishing email, a text message, or a telephone call. Those three things combined are the big issues. But all of a sudden, people go, hey, I'm behind my company. We have a great email solution. It doesn't matter because what's going to happen? Something will get through the solution. There'll be no malware in it. And it'll just say, hey, it's from the IRS. We need you to uh, log into our system because you have a tax refund. I mean, just think about how many of our parents will fall for this right. and through telephone calls. So we have to realize, we have to think before we click. We have to be a human firewall. We have to realize that you're going to get an email from you're not going to get an email from Boris Padnoff from cybercriminal.org saying, hey, I just want to let you know that you have a file called malicious payload. I mean, what's it, what are some of the common spearfished emails that we're seeing today, Darren? COVID, work from home, uh, vaccine-related uh, stimulus emails. And you make a good point. If you take a look at the top two crimes – from a loss perspective in the FBI's 2020 cybercrime report, business email compromise and elder and romance scams. Neither one of those really have a malware aspect to it. So that even goes back to our earlier point, the technology is not going to do much for you because there's no malware signature to be identified. It's all using social engineering to trick people into giving information that can then be used to, to empty their bank accounts or, or do bad things. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. So the email is the weapon of choice. And what they're doing with the email is the weapon. Either they're going to distribute malware, which is going to be a key logger or ransomware. Or they're going to trick us into going to a phishing website. So when they steal that password, they're going to get into your mission critical platforms. And so often now when we're dealing on the individual level and at the corporate level, people don't know what they need to protect because all the business units are springing up all these different software as a service packages, which aren't as complex as you might think. Salesforce, your payroll, your financial applications. And think about it, Darren, what happens if the cyber criminals steal the username and password for these accounts? What are they going to do? They're going to 
forward information to themselves, change information. They're going to wire transfer money to themselves. They're, they do a host of things. Gives them full access. Yeah, they're going to steal. The company, they're going to they're going to absolutely destroy the company, and that's another mindset shift. Because I've gotten out in front of thousands and thousands of people and talked to them, and when I'm saying these things, and maybe the people who are here on the podcast know about this because you're in the information security world. What happens when you go over and you sit down with your family, or you're at your July Fourth barbecue, and you're telling people, "Hey, what are your mission critical accounts?" Most people don't know. And then again, it comes back to they don't know what is a secure password, because now when we identify our mission critical accounts, and especially when we're identifying them at home, now we can have a good path. Most people don't have good passwords and they don't know how to remember it. So they become one of the top 50 uh, passwords and the cyber criminals get in. It goes back to what we said, the lack of sophistication required. And here is the, the big telltale test if you are going to be a victim of a cybercrime incident. Are you using two-factor authentication on your email, on your social media, and on your mission-critical accounts? You know, that's like the stress test for like a heart attack. So this is what I would almost call it now is this is the indicator if you are going to become the victim, the two-factor authentication. And so, yeah. so let me ask you this question. How so when you talk to companies and you ask them that question, what do you think? I mean, you're not, you can round up the number, but what is the general percentage of people or companies that are not using multi-factor authentication? Well, it's getting better on the enterprise side, but remember the enterprise side, there are 32 million companies in the United States and out of those 32 million companies, 25 million are sole proprietors, consultants, freelancers. And I'm telling you, a majority of those are not using the two-factor authentication on those platforms. A lot of the big companies are getting better if they're going through it. But it's the smaller companies. And another thing is, you know, the two biggest scams that we see out there now is the business email compromise and ransomware. And these are things that the FBI has put out some really great mitigation strategies in 2015. I'm speaking at a conference and I just sent them some handouts to go out there. They called me back. They said, we can't hand this out. This document's six years old. And I'm like, I'm using it to make a point. We're talking about the same things that we were six years ago and the same thing over there with ransomware. And, and, you know, and as we go over and we talk about ransomware and we talk about all the stuff in the news, you know, there's so much going on about government regulations, you know, that the government's going to step in. And my response is, look, in 1998, the FBI was made the lead law enforcement agency for handling data breaches on presidential directive 63 and private sector really didn't follow the strategies 20, what was that? 23 years ago. So why don't we go back in time and follow those strategies? So I think you've developed a framework on how people should look at this to help create them their own cyber secure mindset. And we will talk about that the next time we meet. So we'll give a little teaser yeah. for, the, for the next time we have this discussion. So people will come back and listen. Yeah, but, but, 
But first of all, I just wanted to lay the foundation. I wanted to lay it that these things that we just talked about now, those were all the things that the victims were not aware of. They didn't know how to bank or shop online. They didn't know the most common scams targeting the elderly or kids. And they didn't even understand the most basic fundamentals. So we take all of that and now we have to incorporate all these things that Darren and I just talked about, and we have to incorporate that into a plan because what we're trying to do is change the mindset. All right. We will talk about the plan on part two of this cybersecure mindset discussion. Scott, thanks. We'll talk soon. Thank you. So that's going to do it for episode 42 of the Cyber Guy podcast. Thanks again to Scott Angebaum for stopping by. We will talk again with him more about the cybersecure mindset as the weeks go by. I very much thank you for taking the time to download and listen to this podcast. I, I really appreciate those of you who stick with me and, and listen and who pass, the, who pass the podcast to others to listen to. As I always say, if you want to contact me about this podcast or other topics you'd like to hear about, feel free to email me, Darren at the cyberguy.com, cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. You can also find me on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com slash I-N slash Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N-M-O-T-T, all one word. And uh, if you look for me there and want to connect, just say you found, you heard about me on, the, on my podcast. Other than that, again, as you go through your week, understand the threats targeting you, assess your risk, proceed wisely, know that knowledge is protection. Thank you very much.